morning. Again, if you would, please turn to the Gospel according to David, Psalm 22. I'll be reading Psalm 22, verses 22 to 31. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him. And stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise Yahweh. May your hearts Live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to Yahweh. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to Yahweh. And He rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Blessed is the reading of the gospel of God to our hearts and souls and eternal salvation. Father, thank you. Oh, for the beauty of the gospel preached. Long before your eternal son was conceived in the womb of Mary. You were good. Let us look back at it. Let us revel in it. Let us pay attention to it. Let the meaning flow to us that is here in the text that we would joyfully and spontaneously praise your holy name through Jesus Christ. Amen. So last week, we worked our way through verses 1 to 21 in Psalm 22, and we encountered the dark night of the soul, which was a precious time on Wednesday as some of us shared our own life experiences. That dark night of feeling God's silence in the midst of pain, circumstances, 
We saw it through two strains last week in Psalm 22, through David's real-life experience as a fellow born-again lover of God, just as we Christians are. And we saw it through the future that David prophesied about, our Lord Jesus, on the cross. David's experience, it's a model. It's a, it's a model of what most Christians go through at one time or another in their lives. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. Or in the words of C.S. Lewis that I quoted last week, Go to God when you are most desperate, and what do you find? A door slammed in your face. After that, silence. And we saw our substitutionary sacrifice on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And because of him, we who have fled for refuge and salvation from our sin and future judgment to Jesus himself, we are to know that God never ultimately and finally forsakes us. Precisely because Jesus was forsaken in our place. But he was not forsaken forever. And that's the second half of Psalm 22. After a time of the silence of God comes God answering. So that David can testify to fellow believers in God. And so that after death, Jesus is raised from the dead in order to testify to the sheep, to those who are his brothers. Testify, verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear Yahweh, praise Him. Okay, that comes out of, though, the line that came right before it. In verse 21, the deliverance. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild ox. David's and Jesus' misery was deep. It was dark throughout verses 1 through the most of 21. 
And now, again, with the metaphor, the picture here, he's being tossed onto the horns of an ox far from deliverance. And then, out of the blue, comes the short words. Now, here's the literal translation from the Hebrew. You have answered me. That's the hinge of the psalm. It's when the door swings open to this glorious deliverance and praise of God. After the door was slammed in the face with God's silence. It's the hinge from the terror of God's forsakenness to the testimony of God's deliverance. From the deep depression of God not answering to the joy of finally He answered now, because the NIV translation is a very popular translation, if anyone is looking at it, I have to say they really get verse 21 wrong. They translate it like this. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. In other words, I mean... It's, in Hebrew, it's grammatically, you could do that. Is, is it an imperative? They take the verb as an imperative. Save. Do it. Lord. In other words, as, in other words so they take it as a continuing the part of the petition to the Lord. Now, the ESV, I think, accurately understands it to be taken as an indicative mood, all right, a, a statement of fact that, that, Lord, you have. But they also translate the word, though, loosely. Instead of literally. Because the word is the word answered. Now, if you're crying out, in other words, rescue me, and then you say, God answered me, this is what ESV is doing, well, then he, he, he answered, meaning he rescued. That's true. But the word answer was deliberately chosen by David and by the Holy Spirit because it is in the flow of the poetry in the psalm, the antithesis of the same word that was used back at verse 2. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. But finally, here in verse 21, you have answered me. To really feel what we're meant to feel in verse 21 with God delivering us, we are to remember the horrific hopelessness 
from which it flows. So just concisely, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? I cry, but you do not answer. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bastion surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lions. Deliver my soul from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. Then comes that line. You know, as Vin Scully once famously said, in the year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. David is happily stunned at such an answering God. And at the same time, this deliverance echoes the events of the work of Jesus. It goes from hopeless despair of being ridiculed and mocked while he was hanging on a cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To an empty tomb and an occupied throne as king forever. God answered. You remember the very first Christian sermon Preached by the Apostle Peter on the day of Pentecost. He said, Brothers, my fellow Jews, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up and of that we all are eyewitnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he, David himself, says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The resurrection and the ascension of Jesus are God's answer to the forsaken Messiah. And in the care 
of our loving shepherd in the care of our great sovereign Lord Jesus. Many of his people can testify of a, a reflection of that same pattern in their own lives. From darkness to light. From hopelessness to hope. That's verse 21. It was dark for David. And it was dark for Jesus. And then God answered. And that now catapults into the rest of the psalm. Psalm, or verses 22 to 31, where David, he testifies of his praise to God in the midst of the assembly, God's people gathered together, the congregation. Now, in Alexandria, Egypt, 200 years before Jesus was even born, the Jews translated the Hebrew into Greek. It's called the Septuagint. And what Greek word did they use to translate this assembly or congregation? You, some of you probably just are going to guess. Ecclesia. The assembly. The church. That's what we translate. That's what church comes from. The Greek. Ecclesia. David praises God. First, to fellow believers in the midst of the assembly, to his brothers. That's verses 22 to 26. Then, switch, and he has a word to the world in verses 27 to 31. So, David here... He's delivered, I'm guessing, probably something like from Saul's death party. The pursuit of him and his experience now is over. God has answered by relieving him of the suffering. And he responds in verse 22. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And then he has a message for those brothers. He has a message for those who love the Lord. Verses 23. You who fear Yahweh, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob in covenant with Him. Glorify Him and stand in awe or literally dread of Him, all you offspring of Israel. And then notice the reason why David should praise Yahweh. Why you should praise God. And indeed, why 
why Jesus would praise Yahweh. It's the next verse, 24. 24 is the reason why the rescued believer, saved believer, should praise him that way. Verse 24 begins with the word for. For, in other words, here's the reason he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. Here's the question. Is that true of you? That, that you were once in darkness, in misery, a child of God's wrath. He was your enemy. And then one day, he shined the light upon your rebellious soul and you cried out in desperation. And eventually, you realized he answered me. You awakened free. You were plucked out of darkness. The darkness of judicial guilt and condemnation upon your soul forever. And then you were placed into the reign and the rule of Jesus. It's the kingdom of light and freedom and forgiveness. Is that true of you? Okay. When that happened, what did you do? You, you might be like me. You probably almost knew no Bible or could quote no Scripture what did you do? You were probably not aware of Psalm 22 at all. But Psalm 22 became you. That's what happened. You told of his name to your new brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation. And in the midst of them and with them, you sang praises. And no matter the depth of your sin and your brokenness, you experienced verse 24. He is not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from me, but he's heard me when I cried to him. And you carry that throughout your life unto you, your grave. I mean, is Psalm 22 not a, a healing ointment to so many of Jesus' people? For example, like the Apostle 
Paul, who viciously persecuted Jesus' people. Not only did the Lord not ultimately despise Paul's affliction of sin, but he did not despise Paul as the afflictor of affliction upon others. All because of the prophetic part of this psalm. So, how does this prophecy work while David is penning in a cave somewhere probably? David, as a poet, as a musician, he exploded onto the page, his poetry, from his own experience. But God, with him at that moment, by the Holy Spirit, was carrying him along and had David choose the precise words that foretold Jesus' sufferings and his glorification after suffering. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews in the New Testament sees Jesus emerging from the grave and proclaiming to us, his brothers and sisters, let me introduce you to my Father. Let's sing praises to him. That's what he sees here. This is how the writer to Hebrews says it in Hebrews 2, verses 10 and 12. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, that he should make the founder, that's Jesus, the founder of their salvation perfect through Verses 1 to 21 of Psalm 22. Through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, literally, they're all of one family. That is why he, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them Brothers, saying, and now he quotes Psalm 22, verse 22. Jesus is saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. This means that when you are at your lowest, in the, in the depths of the pit, feeling abandoned, you can hold on to the testimony of Jesus in Psalm 22, verse 24. Hear Jesus, for he is not despised. Picture him on the cross. He is not 
Despise, picture the spittle on him. Picture the ridicule. He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he's not hidden his face from him. But he is heard when he cried to him. Because of Jesus' suffering and his vindication for us, we can say, he will answer. In time, he will answer. And then again and again, like David, you, believer, testify. And you encourage other believers. Verses 25 and 26. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek Him shall praise Yahweh. And then He says, May your hearts live forever. Now, there's a little switch coming. Notice at the beginning of verse 27, the testimony goes from the congregation outward to the world. All the ends of the earth shall remember and, the, and turn to Yahweh. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Now, don't miss that David is exalting in Yahweh giving him deliverance. And the Holy Spirit is also foretelling about Jesus' victory. His triumph, his, his reign at the right hand of God. In other words, everything is, is headed toward worldwide allegiance to Yahweh. That's the next verse, 28. For kingship belongs to Yahweh. And he rules over the nations. Now let's feel it in its context again. Let's not lose it. That verse 28 happens only because of the horror of verses 1 to 21. I'm a worm and not a man. I'm scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me, they, they mock me. They make mouths at me. They, they wag their, their, their heads. 
and say all kinds of horrific things. They have pierced my hands and my feet. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? From that comes verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to Yahweh. And then he repeats that with different words in verse 29. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. In other words, what it is saying is from the very rich to the extremely poor, from the healthy and well-fed to the dying and the destitute, they all worship and bow down to the kingship that belongs to Yahweh. A posterity. From generation to generation, from generation, humans having baby humans, a posterity down through the centuries of the offspring of Jacob, Israel. And not only that, but in the text, to the non-Jews, to the Gentiles, to the ends of the earth, they shall bow and worship. Look at verse 30. Posterity shall serve Him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn. Proclaiming what? That He has Done it. The sufferings of Jesus with His triumphal resurrection and ascension, that is the Gospel. He says that goes from Jacob, Israel, or Jerusalem to the uttermost parts of the world. He'll rule over not just the nation, of Israel, but all nations. As the Apostle Paul puts this in Ephesians 2. Therefore remember that at one time you non-Jews, you Gentiles, you were at that time separated from God, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, foretold in Psalm 22, you who once were far off 
have been brought near by the suffering, the blood of Christ. And He came and He preached peace to you Jews who were near and to those Gentiles who were far off. For through Him, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then you Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Where Jesus sings to you and with you, praise God in the midst of the assembly. And in the end, every knee shall bow. That's verse 28. For kingship, that means sovereign rule, belongs to Yahweh. And He rules over the nation. So you remember in Philippians 2 how the Apostle Paul laid out the first 21 verses of Psalm 22 after describing God the Son becoming a human being, a descendant of King David in order to experience Psalm 22 verses 1 to 22. Then what's the next thing he says? The second part. Of that psalm. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus, Messiah, is. Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father, the kingship belongs to Yahweh, the gospel according to David. Do, do you remember Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, he said this, and the Scripture, okay, now he's looking at the Hebrew Old Testament. He's looking at Moses, the Torah. Specifically, he's looking at the book of Genesis, chapter 12. And he says about <coughs> Genesis 12, the Scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, the scripture, Genesis, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And so also it's true of Psalm 22. Take it to the ends of the earth. 
The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, the God of David, promised that the time will come when all the earth will be His kingdom for kingship belongs to Yahweh and He rules over the nations. Take it and say the Creator of the universe promised a thousand years before Jesus was born that He would be forsaken with hands and feet pierced, pinned to pieces of wood. He was forsaken and killed for the sins of others. But as Psalm 22 says, after that, he rose. He is alive forever to reign over the nations. Proclaiming the one true God and the promise of forgiveness of sins and of eternal life to all who are His brothers by faith in Him. And so the message goes, you, sinners, you can be a part of this. You can be a part of this posterity. And he says, because he says, we who are believers in Jesus now, we are a part of this posterity. And we proclaim to you the good news of Jesus Christ. As Psalm 22 verse 31 declares, they shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn that He has done it. He's done it! Done what? He's accomplished the redemption of His people through the finished work of the forsaken one. Paul puts it this way. All have sinned, every Jew and every non-Jew. And all have fallen short of the glory of God. And then these wonderful words. And thus, we are justified, forgiven, declared righteous. It is the righteousness of God. We're justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God forsook, whom He put forward as a propitiation by His blood. It is to be received by faith. That's why 
the most famous of all Bible verses. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In order that whoever would hear the message and believe it, they will not perish, but will have eternal life. As the gospel of Psalm 22 says, He has done it. Come to Him. Believe and be saved from the judgment to come. Oh, what a king, what a salvation, what a wise God putting this wonderful gospel of Jesus throughout the Hebrew Old Testament. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your wonderful, sustaining grace and goodness through the Scripture, through Your Word, through the penetration of it, may we never cease to marvel at the miracle and the beauty that any of our hearts actually love what we hear in the Scripture. That is Your glorious work because You have plucked us out of darkness. You have answered and transferred all who believe in Jesus into the kingdom of light in life in forgiveness and freedom to the glory of your name. Amen and amen. Let us, congregation, stand and together sing his praises.